1: Welcome to the Jack Cornfield Heart Wisdom Hour. We are delighted to share with you Jack's innate common sense wisdom and his clear open heart. If you are interested in supporting Jack's podcast, go to BeHearNownetwork.com slash Jack. I'd like to talk with you a little bit about what's happening and about some of the medicine that the Dharma might offer us in the world at this time, and I realize that I can't speak as the expert and the sage, because in my heart I feel a lot of grief. I'm broken-hearted. I feel worry and outrage, and I'm activated. And I also feel hopeful in some way that maybe something will come out of this. It's such an amazingly intense time of upheaval for us. You know, already there's been the pandemic. And when I look, I see three different crises. There's the health crisis. There's the economic crisis. And there's a moral crisis that's been highlighted by the pandemic. Um, But now is out on the streets even more so with the death of George Floyd and all of this, and there's the conflict, the the divisiveness that's happened. I have a friend who was in Florida, and she went into a motel. She was waiting to, needing to travel to see someone else going through difficulty. She had booked a motel, and she walked in wearing a mask, and the person behind the counter said, We don't want no liberals like you in our motel, and sent her out. And she got the same kind of response going into some stores. There's this divisiveness that's been sown, you know, and some of our leadership might hold up a Bible in their hand at the same time that people are being, young people, are being tear gassed a few blocks away. We need something else. We need a whole other way of living with one another. And what's true is that, pandemic or not, we are all subject to the pervasive virus of racism. Today is the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, when, because some young woman said something about a young black man. Nothing even happened, she said later. The entire neighborhood, blocks and thousands of people, hundreds were killed, were massacred. And it's only one part of the history. If you go to Alabama and look at Montgomery at the National Memorial that has the names of so many who've been lynched, and the terrorism over the years, it's only a little piece of a picture that's still so alive that if you're in a black body, you can't necessarily go jogging and feel safe for your life. You can't birdwatch in Central Park. You can't sit in your own dorm in college with impunity. You can't get pulled over by the police driving without worrying that it might lead to your death. And what happened to George Floyd is just one more painful example of the centuries of racism that I see as the core wound of our whole society. That from this othering, there comes injustice economic inequality, mistreatment, um, the the differential and the messed up nature of education, the kind of poverty we have, the decisions we make about who we are in the society and who we care for, all stem from this white supremacy and this core
0: wound. And if I wasn't
1: 75 years old and a bit concerned about the virus, I would be out kneeling in front of the buildings in the center of power here in San Francisco with so many others or on a street corner. But I think more importantly than that,
0: I want to listen, stop and listen deeply and not rush to fix what's happening, but somehow
1: learn even more fully and deeply from my African-American community, from my black and brown community, to really understand. And I think that's what's asked of us in this time. More than anything is to
0: show up and to listen deeply.
1: And then when we think about how we might respond, I have some stories to tell you. Long ago in India, a true story, I believe, the greatest emperor of the last thousands of years in India was Emperor Ashok or Ashoka. He was the founder of the Mauryan Empire that stretched all the way from Afghanistan and the edge of the Greek Empire in one way, all the way out to Southeast Asia. And as the story is told, At the end of a huge battle, when his army had conquered the rest, the southern part of the Indian subcontinent, he was sitting in his tent above the battlefield and looked out across the carnage and the blood that was there and saw some of his favorite warriors and leaders all slain, lying there with those from the other side. As he gazed at this, his heart very heavy, agitated and pained. He saw at the edge of the field, a monk in an ochre orange road, walk step by step slowly and mindfully across the edge of the battlefield with such a
0: sense of decorum and centeredness
1: and peace. And he called to his advisors and his attendants and says, go bring that monk here. And when the monk came, he sat down. And the king said, I who have everything, who control the lands as far as you can see in every direction, do not have the one thing that you have.
0: I do not have a peace of heart, a peace in my heart. And so the monk began to teach him,
1: and Ashok became a true follower of the Dharma. And in the years that followed, and we see them now still all across India, in all the corners of his empire, these great, what are called Ashok stone pillars that are inscribed with his edicts
0: that say, In this kingdom now I
1: declare the protection of all people in all stations, all castes and creeds. In this kingdom, I create a kingdom based on the establishment of virtue, of compassion and truth-telling. In this kingdom across the lands, I abolish harshness
0: and cruelty. And in this kingdom,
1: I decree we will have mutual respect among all religions and spiritual traditions. I decree that we will protect all animals. And these are still written in stone all across
0: the whole great Indian subcontinent.
1: King Ashok, Emperor Ashok asked that monk, teach me how to love. Teach me true leadership. And
0: he listened. It's
1: said in the time of the Buddha that on one occasion, he climbed to the mount, the top of Vulture's Peak, with a whole retinue of monks and nuns, and gave what is called the fire sermon. He said to those gathered, my friends, everything is
0: burning. What?" is everything burning with
1: this world, the world of visible and auditory of all the experiences of our life. It is burning with the fires of greed. It is burning with the fires of hatred. It is burning with the fires of delusion. And seeing these clearly, the wise ones becomes aware of this, becomes weary of greed and hatred and delusion and clinging to all of these, releasing the grasping of this. One turns one's heart toward freedom. One steps out of the
0: fire. We are in that fire or we are at the edge of the battlefield. And we need a medicine. We need a medicine that, like
1: the fire sermon, tells the truth, that a society based on greed, on hatred, on ignorance, on fear and racism and prejudice will continue to suffer. That greed, hatred and ignorance do not make the heart happy, do not make human beings well. Remember, Those who listened a couple of months ago, two Mondays before, I believe I told the story of the act of truth, of how a child had fallen ill in India long ago, bitten by a snake. And they went to the only healer they thought they could find a monk or a yogi, who said, I'm not a healer at all. And they said, well, then you must make an act of truth. Perhaps this will heal our child. And that yogi confessed as an act of truth that he was not a healer. In fact, he was not a real yogi. He would sneak off into the marketplace and do things that were unbecoming. And they didn't even know how to live a life as a yogi. And when he spoke that truth, the child's eyes opened. But he couldn't sit up. And then the father spoke a truth about his own greediness and selfishness as a businessman. How he looked good on the outside, but how he was greedy and difficult. And when he spoke that truth, the child sat up, but still couldn't move. And finally, the mother spoke and said she was so unhappy in the marriage. She loved her child, but she felt mistreated. And when she spoke that truth, the child could walk and move again. And then they looked at each other in that wreckage of the truth and realized that they had to rebuild their lives. By telling the truth. Part of the medicine that we need of the Dharma, the medicine of the fire sermon, is that a culture built on greed, on hatred, on ignorance and prejudice will not bring happiness. It's said that we're all in the same boat. But you know the truth. Some are in yachts. Some are in rowboats, and some of us are just barely floating, holding on to a piece of driftwood. Yes, the pandemic has spread, but it's spread so much more widely in the communities of poverty, in the communities of color, in the Black and African-American community, especially. So the truth is we're not in the same boat. And when I think of the tellers of truth, I think of Sojourner Truth who stood up against the enslavement of people. She stood up for the rights of women. She stood up for economic justice. Even after one of her children was sold under her as just,
0: you know, at a slave market.
1: She took the courage to get her child back and to stand up again and again. She joined with the abolitionists of that time to tell the horrors and make it so evident and clear. And she was accosted at one meeting for standing up in the way that a man would do at that time. Women would never do that. And she said, ain't I a woman? And bared her breast. The breast that had nurtured the children that had
0: been sold. Ain't I a woman? Ain't we all together in this? This is truth telling. We need to see this and to hold
1: it and to honor it. It's where we are as a society and a culture. I was in San Quentin prison invited by Jacques Verdun, who started the Inside Prison Project many years ago in connection at first with Spirit Rock, and I was a part of that board. It was a graduation from the GRIP program, Guiding Rage into Power, and Jacques has done amazing work in San Quentin. And at one end of the room was a stage in which 150 men stood in their graduation gowns and caps. Like graduating from college. And at the other side of the room, the largest in San Quentin, were 300 people local mayors and members of the State Board of Corrections, corrections officers, family members, politicians. And these men stood up. They had a valedictorian for their class. They'd spent a year training guiding rage into power and anger management, mindfulness, yoga, compassion, forgiveness, practices, all of the things that we know. And they stood up and the valedictorian read what they had come together to agree to and invited all the men to stand up and say, we've been violent men and we now read to you an oath that we will never again use violence to solve problems in this world. And then they offered as a group an apology for all the suffering that they had caused to families, to individuals,
0: to people who died. It was a
1: tender moment and I was asked to speak and I spoke about how it's never too late to start over. It's never too late to begin your life again to transform your heart, as we could see in these men. And then my good friend Luis Rodriguez, last year the poet laureate of Los Angeles, a great activist and Latino poet whose book La Vida Loca, My Gang Days in L.A., he says proudly is the most stolen book in high school libraries across America. He stood up to read a poem and he reads a poem like a sacrifice, like he lets blood come from his veins through his work, as words, all that he's lived in the times that he's worked in prisons and with gangs and in the barrios in his own life. And he said, I can't read my poem. I can't read
0: my poem because you all have apologized to us. But it's we who have to apologize to you. Because almost all you men were born in
1: circumstances of poverty, born in areas of injustice. You've all been subject to racism. You've been given the worst of the educations of our society. You haven't been protected. You've been in places where there's street violence, drug use all based on poverty and the targeting of people of color. You were children born into this. And we did not protect you. And it is we who have to offer you an apology. And all of the 300 people and those standing in their caps and gowns became silent for a time because Luis had spoken a truth that we needed to hear and needed to understand. Otherwise, the buses are arriving to San Quentin month by month, bringing the children, the black and brown children, from our lives and our community as if we were in Nazi Germany.
0: And we have to make a difference. There's
1: an African proverb that says, if a child, is excluded from the village they will burn it down to feel the warmth if a child is excluded from the warmth of the village they will from the village they will burn it down to feel the warmth and this is part of what we're seeing on the streets that there's no other way to get the attention of america another truth That we see on the streets beside this huge
0: cry is the
1: militarization of the police. It got much more so with the war on drugs that's been such a travesty. And if you want to understand, you can read a book like The Rise of the Warrior Cop by Radley Balco, or you can just reflect on the fact that we're a warlike nation, that in my lifetime, we've almost never been at war with someone in the world. We spend more on our military than all the other countries put together, almost, and we sell more killing machines across the world, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And then we wonder why we're not safe. This is another truth
0: to tell. And I speak this as a
1: white person. Because I can do things. I can protest and march. And write to people and be active and vote. And I've done these things and I will. But then I can go home and have a beer if I like beer, or watch a
0: movie or forget. But if I'm a person of color, and especially if
1: an African American or an African American male, I can't walk into a store. I can't walk down the street. I can't be stopped by the police without over and over and over fearing for my life, noticing the way people are looking at me as if I'm different. As if I, who was born a child like everyone else, got mixed in this insanity of madness of what color are you, blue, red, yellow, green, purple, as if that denigrated and denies your humanity. And I can step away from it. But for others, it's the reality all the time. And this is another truth. And we need to hold the truth. We can't just put it aside and go on with our business. There's a story of James McNeil Whistler,
0: the great painter and artist, he enrolled at west point and as
1: an artist he kept that art going while he was doing his military training and in an engineering class whistler was asked to draw a picture of a bridge that the military might build as part of their exercises and he drew a beautiful picture which with a stream and a curved stone bridge over it and drew in it two young children fishing from the top of the bridge. And the angry officer said, Whistler, get those children off the bridge. So he has submitted the next drawing and he had the children fishing from the side of the river. The officer got more angry and he said, Whistler, get those children out of the picture. And he'd redrew the bridge again. And this time there were two little gravestones at the side of the river. And at that point, Whistler realized that he had to quit. That his truth was as an artist, as someone who could see the natural world and the beauty of children and life, that he couldn't live in that military engineering mindset. He stayed true to himself. And you need to do this. You need to stay true to yourself to add your voice and your paintings and your songs and your poems and your passion. For what Thich Han said to us, the next Buddha is not coming as an individual. The next Buddha is the Sangha, the community itself. And yet there's a still bigger truth. The suffering we carry is not the end of the story. Yes, there is suffering. And yes, there is an end to it. There's an end to greed and hatred and ignorance in ourselves. Through wise speech, wise livelihood, wise mindfulness, wise compassion, all the steps of the Buddhist path. This is why we practice. It's the very practices that changed Christina Figuera, who was trying to put, up, put together the Paris Climate Accord and became so depressed and undermined by the conflict. And friends told her she'd need to get out and go down to visit Thich Nhat Hanh, Plum Village. And despondent, she went. And after spending time doing the same practices that we've done of compassion, loving awareness, she realized that the whole setup of the Paris Climate Accord was based on victim and perpetrator. Who was doing what to whom. And that no one could get along in that model. And being with Thich Han and learning the interbeing. That I interbe with the trees and the flowers, with those around me, with the whole of life. She saw and knew in herself that we are a family in a new and deep way. And she took that understanding of being part of a family back to Paris and brought 180 nations
0: together. Who
1: you are is consciousness itself, is loving awareness. You're not limited to your personality to your body, to the beliefs of the society around you. You have a birthright of dignity and a freedom of heart. And this is what's true. And you can carry this and bring it alive no matter how long it takes. I love the image of Mahatma Gandhi. There's a beautiful statue of him downtown San Francisco right at Right at the uh, Ferry Building, where Market Street hits the bay, there's a big statue of Mahatma Gandhi striding with his staff, carrying the vision of justice for all. As he said, if you make laws to keep us suppressed that are wrong without taking us into confidence or care, These laws will merely adorn the statute books. If you misuse them, we will never obey them. Award us what punishment you like, we will put up with it. Send us to prison, we will live there as in a paradise. Ask us to mount the scaffold and we will do so laughing. Shower what sufferings you like upon us. We will calmly endure and not hurt a hair of your body. We will gladly die, but we will not so much as touch or harm you. But so long as there is yet life in our bones, we will never comply with your unjust laws. And the beautiful thing about the statue of Gandhi is that someone climbed up on it and put a mask. So here's Gandhi going out in the streets, as everyone is, you know, who's joined the protests in San Francisco. He's with them, wearing his mask. Socially distancing as he might, and carrying a truth. And it doesn't matter how long it takes, how long they say, however long it takes, if it takes 500 years,
0: there's only one direction to go.
1: So on my website are 75 things that people can do, that white people can do, to speak up,
0: to stand up for
1: justice, to become brothers and sisters and family to others of all races and colors, to interact and make a difference and change the government, to change the education, to change the economic system. Never underestimate the power of the human heart to transform the world, however long it takes, this is the source. And our task, like Gandhi's,
0: is first to sit quietly, to come into the great heart of compassion as we did this evening, and then to rise up with a steady and compassionate and peaceful heart and become love in action. That is what the world needs. It needs love. And it needs love and action.
1: And it needs it from me and you.